only done New Testament books so far, so we might move to an Old Testament book, or I will let y'all uh, decide. I'll let y'all vote on what you want to do. Um, I'm going to go right from my outline this week because, like I said, I didn't have much time. I just barely got the outline done. And these are the things, just kind of things I, I found going through the text. What we're going to see in... Uh, well, let's start with what we saw before. Acts chapter 16, what happened last week? We saw Paul and Silas in jail. Why were they thrown in jail? Remember? They were falsely accused. They, were falsely accused. they uh, kicked the spirit out of the demon girl that was following after them. Yeah, that's it's strange, but that's I find that also that that's true, that um, you don't really connect the two. I mean, it, it's really just from not reading context, but it uh, the story they kind of connect. You know, they kind of they weren't just in prison for being in prison. They were there because saying singing you know singing at midnight yeah yeah that's true and that's uh i mean that's another reason why i like to go straight through because the real i mean this is not what we're talking about today but these things are so easy to i mean you could take this a, a verse and if you don't have the flow of what is taught being talked about I mean, you can kind of import your own meanings to it, and that's not something like you're like an evil person would sit by and go, "I'm going to import my." I mean, we all do it. We all do it, and we all have done it, and we're all continuing to do it. You, you, uh, you know, you, you have to get what the Luke Acts is one story. Actually, it's one book. You know, Luke is the Gospel of Luke is part one. Acts is part two. You know, it's it's a continuation of the story. And so you read it as a narrative. You start to pick up on things that you never noticed before. And like like you say, I mean, just some of the implications of that was that they were in jail, falsely accused, falsely imprisoned. Uh, and one of the things we picked up last week was that they could have got out anytime they wanted to. Yeah, nobody knew that either. Yeah, all he had to do was say, look, I'm a Roman citizen. Pow, they would have been out. But he refrained from doing that until the very end to make life easier. Probably not the best way to put it, but to make sure that the when he left, the church wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be looked on as criminals or persecuted any further than they would be anyway. Uh, he waited until it was time for them to go before he said, we're going to see in a later ver- chapter in Acts that they're going to have him stretched out on the rack about to beat him. And he's going to say, uh, excuse me, I'm a Roman citizen. And they're going to say, let him go. Let him, you know, so we're going to see him do that. But it's real interesting, real interesting if you start putting the pieces together. Uh, what we're going to do this week is we're going to look at verses 1 through 15, and these are just going to be two cities in Macedonia. We're going to look at the gospel going to Thessalonica, and uh, it, it's it's uh, and the gospel going to Berea. And you need to, uh, w- I wish, we're going to kind of put in some of the things that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians in 1st, 2nd Thessalonians. Um, 
here because these, this is where he was. He didn't write it from here, but he was writing it to these people that he had met while he was here. Does that make sense? Okay. Anything else before we start? Me and Curtis were reading this last night. It was the first time that I'd ever noticed him too, that Jason's name. Is yeah, you didn't know Jason was in the Bible? No, I didn't. Yeah, he got, he got beat. Jason got beat, not the course. I'm half asleep. I was like, what happened? <laughs> it wouldn't have been the first time I got beat, but yeah, he got beat for being a for being a an accessory, an accessory to the gospel. So what we're gonna see, let's look at Thessalonica first in chapter 17, verse 1. Um, now what we're gonna see is you're gonna see um, Paul had a method of being a witness for Christ. And I, I'm not going to I'm not going to impose that pattern on I don't think we should impose it on us like this is the way that we should all do. But I want to look at the characteristics of his method and say this should characterize all of our witness. Uh, wherever your witness, yes sir. How did they know that they were Romans? I mean, did they carry a card? Or yeah, they carried a, uh, it wasn't a card, but it was like a... Because uh, it isn't Yeah, it doesn't say in the text. Says, I'm a Roman but they have, they have proof that they are a Roman citizen if they are a citizen. Paul was actually born a Roman citizen. Right. So he would have had it his whole life. A lot of people paid to be a Roman citizen. They had to serve in the military to be in... A, of, yeah, there was, there was some kind of evidence, right. But to just claim it, you see... To claim it would have made them stop, at least to investigate, because if you humiliated, publicly beat, or uh, gave some sentence that involved uh, the humiliation or uh, publicly defaming a Roman citizen, you, you would be put to death immediately. I mean, they would kill you immediately. They were that Rome was that serious about you know Rome was the big boy on the block, and they they were really proud of being Romans. You know what I mean? They were really that was to be a Roman was a, was the thing, and so they were. You could not be. It didn't matter what crime you committed. <clears throat> you could not be crucified if you were a Roman. They that was the one. Uh, um, Execution method that was not, it was against the law to crucify a Roman citizen. Uh, there were certain punishments that couldn't be given publicly to a Roman. There were, you know, a lot of things. Rome had, uh, you had kind of kind of like due process. You had to, you know, that they, uh, like when Paul, <clears throat> Paul's on trial, later on we'll see, he'll say, I appeal to Caesar. And at that moment when he appeals to Caesar, everything stops. Paul's got to get on a boat and go to Rome. And so we're, we're going to see that later on. Uh, and so there were, there were I don't want to say constitutional rights because there are no constitution, but you know what I mean? There were rights as a Roman citizen that you had. <clears throat> and um, when Paul, when, when, it, when it furthered the gospel, Paul used his rights as a citizen. And so you can take that. We'll see it when we get to it. But you can take that as a, you know, all those folks that say, well, we, we shouldn't be, you know, shouldn't be involved in government and all that kind of stuff. Well, Paul would, would he was, he would use his rights as a citizen when, when the, when the situation required it. Get out of jail card, really. No, he didn't use it for that. We saw that last week. Yeah. He was beaten and thrown in jail. And at any time during that, he could have stopped it. But he chose to take the beating. He chose publicly take the beating. He chose to publicly be humiliated and thrown in jail. And instead of claiming his citizenship, he sat in jail all night long singing. You know, singing with Silas. And so to protect, his, to protect the church. 
Right. The only time he said, only time he uh, applied his citizenship, said, "Whoa, I'm a Roman citizen," was when they were going to sneak him out. You know, they said, "All right, we're going to let you go. Just go and leave the city." He said, "Oh, no, 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 no. I want the whole city to know that we haven't done anything wrong, and I want the magistrates to come themselves and to walk us out of the prison." Basically, he was telling them, "I want a public apology," and that's what they did in front of the whole city. So the next Christians that came along. The church that he'd started there with Lydia and all those, the next ones that came along preaching the gospel, they wouldn't be treated this same way. At least they would have some sort of hearing. You know, that people would hear their gospel, hear their message, and it wouldn't be an automatic, well, those are the criminals that snuck away in the middle of the night. Those were the criminals that ran from the jail when the earthquake threw the doors open. They couldn't say none of that. They could say, we need to, let's be careful before we just jump to conclusions because these guys might be Roman citizens like them last two. You know, and it's risking your life to beat them and throw them in jail. You, you're risking death penalty. So that all that was last week. The church didn't have that privilege, so Paul was careful about using his privilege to show an example of, of yeah. persecution for the church. Yeah, well, and when it when it um, the church there in Philippi, where we were last week. They didn't have, none of them were Roman citizens. And so if Paul would have just ran, you know, like most of us would have done, like I would have done, they would have come down on them hard. But since Paul was a Roman citizen, it would have given them pause before, like, even if the church wasn't Roman citizens, they would have known there are some in the church that are Roman citizens. And so it would have given them pause to, to just jump on them and persecute them. You know, they were persecuted anyway, but it would have gave, given them, you know, they, it would have given them a, a, I don't know what the word is, you know, like a, a, a narrow leeway where they, where they wouldn't just jump on them as soon as they got there. You see, it makes sense. Do y'all understand what I'm saying? I'm like so scatterbrained today. So anyway, what we're going to see is Thessalonica. Thessalonica was the capital of Macedonia, province, Roman province of Macedonia. It was the uh, biggest city there. Uh, it seems like part of Paul's mission was he was strategic about how he did his gospel ministry. He was one that would come and witness in any and all situations. Uh, if somebody came up to him, some happenstance in the providence of God, that something somebody would come along in his path, he would be. But he was also strategic. He passed through two smaller cities that probably didn't have a synagogue in them to get to Thessalonica, which was the biggest city, because he knew by planting the gospel there, it would seep out into the into the into the countryside. So it says in verse seven. The 17. Now, when they had passed through Ambia, that word, and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, he went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scripture. So, first, he was real strategic about his idea about how the gospel should be spread. He wanted to, he wanted to get the biggest impact. He wanted to get the biggest effect. And so he was thinking about it. He was planning it out. Now, you remember two weeks ago, we saw that Paul was planning it out and God changed his plan, right? And Paul says, I'm going to go south. God said, no, you're not going to go south. Then Paul said, okay, I'm going to go north. God said, no, you're not going to go north. And then God gave Paul a vision saying, come to Macedonia. And so Paul went. So it wasn't like Paul was just doing his own thing. He was following the leading of the Spirit. But yet still, he was strategic about how he was ministering the gospel. 
gospel. He wasn't just doing it willy-nilly, walking around, seeing, you know, this or that. He passed through these two cities. And more than likely, I mean, I can't prove this, but more than likely as he was going through the cities, you know, he probably stayed the night there, then stayed the night there. And there were people in that city that he did witness to. There, He probably spread the gospel there. But he came to Thessalonica and he stayed there for an extended period of time. And he was ministering the gospel in this synagogue. He was ministering the gospel uh, so that this would spread out from this big, huge capital that was in uh, Macedonia. He was strategic about it and he was consistent. It says he didn't just pop in there on Sunday. Well, it was Sabbath. It was Saturday. He didn't just pop into the synagogue. They were Jews. That's why it was Saturday. Uh, and just do the gospel and then leave. Three Sabbaths in a row, he stayed there preaching the gospel. Have you ever, you ever witnessed to somebody and they just told you to go stick it? And then you're like, well, okay. You know, I'm going to move on. If it's somebody in your family, somebody, that, you know, neighbor, whatever... We we are we have to be consistent because the reality is it's not your it's not your wise words or your influential speech or your arguments that's going to win people to Christ. It's God's power by the Holy Spirit working through the gospel, working through the gospel. And so we uh, it's easy to say to not lose heart. It's harder to actually implement when it's somebody you love, especially uh, when they just tell you, you know, I'm not interested in all that. We are consistent because um, it's God that changes hearts. And so Paul goes to the synagogue and he is Sabbath after Sabbath after Sabbath. He started in the in the synagogues because they would have a background already of the Old Testament. They would know uh, that we were looking for a Messiah. They would think, you know, God's going to bring forth his Messiah. So he came to them uh, in every city that he went to first because they would already have the background of looking for the Messiah. And he would have said, look, here he is. I've got him. He's Jesus. He was died in, in Jerusalem, was buried and resurrected. And, and this is the Messiah that he would point that out from the scriptures and so that's why he started there. Uh, we're going to see as he goes even in this chapter right here he's going to go to Athens after he leaves Berea and those people didn't have any background in the Old Testament. They didn't have they were Greeks. They were all about uh, Plato and, and Aristotle and all that kind of stuff. The philosophy of the day. So he doesn't start the same way with them as he does them. We'll see that later. But the two things you see so far he was strategic about his witness. He had a plan and he was implementing his plan insofar as God's providence allowed him to do so. And he was consistent. He over and over and over and over again he, three Sabbaths in a row, he was preaching. He was persistent, engaging the people. And the second, the third thing, I think, is something that we we miss a lot of times is that he was engaging them. You know, you ever met that person that you have a conversation with, and you can just tell that they're not listening to you. They're just waiting for their turn to talk. You know what I mean? Like you're just talking, and, and it's just like they're not even paying attention to what you're saying. They're just ready for you to stop so they can talk. You know what I mean? This is not what. Paul was doing. He was engaging. They were. They would provide questions. They would provide objections. They would ask this and ask that. And he was reasoning with them. That's what it says. And his, this is what he did. He says in verse 2, uh, his manner was three Sabbaths. He reasoned with them out of the scriptures. And this is what he was doing. Verse 3, opening and alleging, which means proving, 
proving that Christ must needs have suffered. It was necessary for Christ, for the Christ, the Messiahs, Christ and Messiah are the same word in Hebrew and Greek. The, their Messiah they were waiting for, it was necessary for their Messiah to suffer and to rise from the dead. And that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ, the Messiah. And so what he would do is he'd go into the synagogues. They were waiting for a Messiah. They knew a prophesied Messiah was coming. They would say he was reasoning and opening and opening the scriptures and proving to them that it was necessary for the Christ to die and to rise again. Why would that be necessary for him to preach that? Because they didn't feel like their Messiah would be humiliated and yeah. publicly. That's right. Yeah, we saw that in an earlier chapter. They re rejected the idea that the God's Messiah would be cursed, be hung on a tree, would be would bear the curse of God. And we saw that that is exactly the gospel, that they he bore the curse of God for us. They rejected the fact they thought he was coming in pomp and splendor to overthrow the Romans and rule the world and all that kind of thing. They rejected the idea that the Christ, the Messiah that was to come would be one who would suffer and be be weak and die, weak in their estimation, and die on a cross and, 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 and all that. And Paul was proving to them from the scriptures, from Old Testament. We don't know what Old Testament passage he was using, but I can think of a bunch of them. You know, Isaiah 53, he was bruised for our iniquities and, you know, the, took our the chastisement of our sins. Was his, you know, you got it. I'm, Isaiah 53, by, our, by his stripes were healed. Uh, he was proving that it was necessary from the Old Testament scriptures that the Messiah would be a Messiah who would come and suffer. The suffering servant. He would come and suffer. He would come and die. He would, be, he would have to rise from the grave. And then he was proving that this is Jesus, the one who has done these things. He is your Messiah. He is the one who come. He is the one God has, um, God has sent. And so that's what he was doing. Do you notice that Paul was a really smart guy, educated, educated in Jewish uh, thought, educated in Greek thought, born in Tarsus, but also a Jew, a Roman citizen. He was a very, very smart man, very smart man. But what was the foundation that he was using when he was arguing, when not arguing, but reasoning and opening and proving and, and preaching? What was the foundation he was basing everything on? Old Testament. Yeah, the scripture. On their own teaching. On their, yeah, on their understanding of the teaching. They, he was using the scriptures that they used every Sunday, every Sabbath. I keep saying Sunday. Uh, Sunday is the Lord's Day. The Christian church used it for the Lord's Day. But in the synagogues, the Sabbath would have been the seventh day. So every Sabbath, this law, this Torah, this Old Testament scripture, we call it the Old Testament, would have been read. They would have known it. They would have understood it. They would have studied it. They would have uh, reviled it as God's word. They would, have, they would have known that this is God's word. And he took that scripture, which is still true today, the Old Testament scripture, and he showed them from that scripture that it, it all points to Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. And so he spent that time opening and alleging, proving. Yeah, go ahead, Kenneth. Not only did they have the word to go by, but when Jesus was baptized, did they not hear God say, This is my son and whom I'm well pleased? The ones who were there, absolutely. And why would they be so so prone to 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 reject? 
Well, we're in another part of the country. We're in another part of the Roman world here. But to answer your question directly, no one can accept God's truth without God's spirit drawing them. Um, the, the best way to put it, I think, is to understand. Sometimes I get sometimes even I, I get discouraged, frustrated, you know. Why won't this person understand? Why won't they grab hold? Why won't they accept the gospel? When the reality is that unless unless God draws you, no one will. Uh, it was John 6 that says that no one can come to me unless the Father draws it. So, to be honest with you, I mean, to be perfectly honest with you, Jesus could appear right here in power and glory on that stage like he did at the Mountain of Transfiguration. And unless the Holy Spirit works in people's hearts, there'll be people right here in this room that, I mean, not if the room was full, there would be people right here looking at him that would reject him. I mean, salvation is that big of a supernatural grace. Does that make sense? So that's another reason why we don't get discouraged when people refuse the gospel. We just keep planting the seed. It's God. I like to say we're handing out lightning rods in a thunderstorm. The gospel's where lightning's going to hit. We just don't know when, you know. There were people that uh, ministered to me for years, and I just told them, stick it. Over and over again. And if you would have known me, you would have thought there was no way God would ever save that guy. No way. No way. James and Tammy one time come and saw me play at Skullbone, didn't you? I remember that. Would you ever thought? Would you ever thought? That night, I tell this story sometimes. A lot of people talk about how bad they were. But that night, I walked off the stage in front of 10,000 people and I told somebody, I am God. So let me tell you what, if I was God, I sure would have struck me dead. I guarantee you. I guarantee you. And so it's a supernatural event. It's a supernatural thing. And we're going to see that. Paul, there's going to be people here in this synagogue that accept what Paul says. And there's going to be people that reject it. Not only do they reject it, they make it their life's mission to squash it. They make it their life's mission to make life so hard for Paul to make sure that this teaching never gets out of, uh, never takes hold, never grows, never do anything. They're going to make it. They don't just reject it and say, eh, that's not for me. They reject it and say, I'm going to make sure that nobody accepts what this guy's saying. Oh, yeah, they still do it every day. So he was reasoning with them. I better move a little quicker. And uh, some people, you're going to see the, the, uh, the effect of it. Uh, some of them believed, verse 4, some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Saul, Silas. That word consorted means join. He, they joined with him. They were converted and they joined. Uh, and the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. So there were Jews, there were Gentiles, there were men, there were women, there were all kinds of people that believed. Not only did they believe, not only did they convert, but they also joined with Paul and Silas. Um, not joined the missionary band, but, you know, gathered to them to around their teaching. And we're going to probably see here in a little bit that they were, they also joined the church there in Thessalonica with Lydia and, not Lydia, she was in Philippi, 
but with uh, the other uh, people that are constituting the church in Thessalonica. And it says, But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, made a crowd, and they set all the city in an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. So the Jews, what they did was, now remember, these are the religious guys meeting every, meeting every Sabbath, talking about God's law, talking about God's scripture, talking about God's Messiah. They went and found the nastiest folks they could in the city, the meanest, and they made a big crowd. And this crowd started causing an uproar about what these guys were teaching. And they went and the, the Paul and Silas were staying with this person named Jason. And uh, they went and attacked Jason's house looking for them. So who knows what they were going to do. They might have killed, killed them, might have beat them, might have done what happened to them in Philippi. But they were after him. And it says, and when they found them not, they drew. That word drew means dragged. So it's not just like they said, come on, Jason, come on out here and follow us. They grabbed Jason up by his hair and they dragged him out of the house. They dragged Jason out and certain brethren, not just Jason, but some other brothers as well, unto the rulers of the city, crying, these that have turned, these are the ones that have turned the world upside down and come hither also. Uh, they're going to, uh, they're, they're, they're going to take them out, take them to the rulers, rulers of the city. Right around this time, uh, I'm, I'm thinking it's 49 AD. I'm pretty sure that's right. Claudius, the emperor, had thrown all the Jews out of Rome because of the constant riots, the constant stuff going on, the constant you know problems he was having in the city. And so when it was kind of an empire-wide thing that these guys are just trouble. And so what happens is these Jews, they get together and they're going to use the Roman system. They're going to use the Romans to get Paul and Silas and all these guys in trouble as well. They brought them to the magistrates and they're saying, these are some of the guys right here that's messing the whole world up. They're doing stuff that they're not supposed to be doing. Look, they're going to accuse them falsely again. It says... They, uh, whom, whom Jason has received. Remember, they've brought Jason. They hadn't brought Paul and Silas. Jason is an accessory. Whom Jason has received. And these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, one Jesus. Why would they be saying that? Why would they run tell the Romans that? Were they doing that? Were they teaching things that were contrary to the decrees of Caesar? No. No. In fact, Jesus specifically taught them not to do that. Render unto Caesar what's Caesar's. Unto God what's God's. They weren't trying to overthrow the Roman government. They weren't trying to rebel. But that's exactly what they were accused of here. They were saying, Jesus is this king that's wanting to be uh, the ruler of this empire rather than Rome. And so they were falsely accusing them. And the funny thing is, Paul and Silas, the ones who were preaching and teaching, weren't even there. They were accusing Jason of just being an accessory. He was just he was just aiding the gospel. It's something you and I need to learn that even you you can't be on you can't be straddling the fence. Even if you're an aid to somebody with the gospel, even if you're just a helper and not, you know, 
somebody who's directly involved in whatever, the world's going to see you the same way. The religious system is going to see you the same way. You're either for Christ or you're against him. And if you're for him, you're going to be an enemy to the world. You're going to be an enemy to the religious mindset. You're going to be an enemy to the, to the devil. And that's exactly what happened. They went looking for Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas were nowhere to be found, so they dragged the dude out that they were staying with and took him to the authorities and said, look, the guys that are trying to overthrow Caesar are here and Jason's helping them. And Jason's going to have to pay a fine. He's going to have to, he's going to be punished for it. It says, uh, when they found them not, they drew Jason out. And verse 7 says, we read that. And verse 8 says, and they troubled the people and the rulers of the city. It troubled them when they heard these things. They were like, oh, they're going to overthrow, trying to overthrow the Romans. They're going to be a rebellion, an insurrection. And when they had taken security of Jason, that means when they had charged him money, when they made a fine, gave him a fine, made him, made him pay. We're not told what, but instead of having a trial, instead of imprisonment, instead of whatever, they made him pay. They made him pay a fine. When he, when they took security of Jason and, and of the others, they let him go. And their brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea. They sent him away because it was getting too hot in the city. But Paul and Silas left now a newly formed church there in, in Thessalonica. And so what I, what I want you to see in this section is that uh, Jason was, uh, he wasn't punished with rods in jail like Paul and Silas were in 16. But he lost, we're not told how much, but it could have been everything. Could have been his house, could have been his, everything he owned. He lost everything by being identified with the gospel. And we don't get any, any indication that he was unwilling to do so. So he was punished, not for, it doesn't say he ever preached the gospel, it doesn't say he ever did it. All he did was aid them. And he was punished. But it also was something like that. You can go a step further and say that you know, he's not mentioned before this at all. But it, it changed his reputation. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. You know, he could have been just an average guy. Nobody, nobody I'm sure he was. I'm sure he was. He did his own thing. And now he's known as this person. You know, it changed, it changed his life. Yeah, I'm sure it did. I'm sure it did. And so they left and went to Berea. Now, there's one more thing. We're almost out of time, but there's a couple of things I need you to see. This is a very important text about them in Berea because it's going to teach us something very important. It's teach us two things very important. They went to Berea. The brethren sent them away. And it says, these Bereans, verse 11, they were more noble than those in Thessalonica. And this is why. It says, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and they searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. So the reason they were noble, the reason why the Bible says that these were more noble than the others, they were doing uh, right. It doesn't say that they all flocked to him and believed yet. We're not, we're not going to see that yet. But what they were doing, Paul the Apostle... 
I'm talking about the inspired apostle was standing before them preaching. And instead of just, instead of rejecting, saying, forget all that. And instead of just believing with all their whole, whole heart, they were willing to search the scriptures. Paul was preaching from the scripture. Remember, he was opening the scriptures. He was reasoning from the scriptures. And what they did was they'd listen to what Paul said. And then they would go home or stay there or whatever. And they would search the scripture to make sure that what they what he was saying was true. They would receive what he said with eagerness of mind saying, OK, I'm going to take that and we're going to go we're going to go prove it. And they would search the scriptures to find out what was true. They were discerning. They were being discerning. That's that. And the Bible calls them more noble because they were doing so. So it is an example that we have to follow it. This morning I preached from First John chapter two. Some of y'all need to start coming to early service. It'd be good to see you there. You know, I preach every early service. Uh, today I'm talking about Acts chapter sixteen. You need to take this, and if you think, well, I know that's got to be right because Jason said it. You're a fool. You're a fool. I'm just like anybody else. I could be wrong. I could be, you know, letting my own preconceived notions get in the way. I do it all the time. Everybody does it all the time. You take the scriptures. You got the same book I got. You take the scriptures. You got the same Holy Spirit I got. And you study the scripture to see if these things are so. See that what we're talking about. Because nobody's infallible. Nobody is. Even Paul wasn't infallible. We saw earlier about Paul having a big fit over Mark coming, right? And then changing his mind later. We see Peter in Galatians chapter 2 falling back into the old Jewish pattern. Paul has to rebuke him. Well, we have to search the scriptures to see what they say to us, our heart. Because it may say something completely different to Jennifer than it would me. Well, I like to put it this way. The interpretation, there's only one correct interpretation of scripture. For the entire church. But, but we apply, apply it. Yeah. It's going to apply to me. It's going to apply to you in a different way. I like, like, for example, the Bible says, husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church. Now, for Ed, that might mean taking the wife on a cruise and going walking on the beach. For me, it might mean just picking up my dirty underwear. You know what I mean? It's, it's two different things, the same interpretation, but different, different applications. And you have to, I think the point you're getting at, Miss Judy, is a really good one. Me telling you something, preaching you something, whatever, teaching you what this says, my, my, my goal really is just to tell you what it says and try to help you interpret it. And God's going to apply it to your life. God's going to apply it to your situation. God's going to take you. Uh, this morning we've preached love, not the world or the things in the world. So for this guy over here, he's probably loving something he shouldn't be loving. And for this lady over here, it's something totally different. But it's something that she's got going on. So it's going to apply differently to, to different people. Um, the thing about the Bereans, though, they were more noble is because they trusted the... Uh, um, sufficiency of scripture they knew that this Paul he might be wrong he might be right but instead of just throwing a fit and grabbing a crowd like they did in Thessalonica we're going to sit down with the Bible we're going to sit down with God's word and we're going to see because if he's right we need to follow it and if he's wrong we don't go ahead Kenneth how are they able to interpret those scriptures if they don't have the well, they were interpreting the words that Paul was saying. So what I mean by that is 
Paul was preaching with the Holy Spirit from the text. And so that's the that is the uh, that's going to be the uh, I don't want to say tool. That's going to be the yeah the when 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 a lost person sits here in in the sanctuary today, brother John is going to preach. Lost person sits the the word that he preaches, the scripture that he preaches, whatever it is from, the Holy Spirit uh, will take that gospel. And it will call to their hearts. See what I mean? Does that make sense? And so when they would take the scripture, they would take what Paul was saying, the preaching of the gospel. They would say, he was saying, this is Jesus in this text. Look at it. And the Holy Spirit would, would um, I won't say combine, but he would, he would take that gospel and apply it to them. Does that make sense? What they were doing was not necessarily... Um, they were studying the text of Scripture uh, with what Paul had been preaching in mind to see if it was so. That makes sense? Okay, so they were more noble because they were receiving readiness of mind. They searched the Scriptures daily whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed. Doesn't say all of them, but many of them. The, uh, some honorable women, which were Greeks and of men, not a few, both Jew and Gentile. And then our buddies from Thessalonica return. They couldn't just let Paul go. They followed Paul to Berea from Thessalonica. It says, But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came to Berea. They came thither also, and what they do? They stirred up the people. And then immediately the brethren sent Paul to go... Uh, as it were to the sea but Silas and Timothy abode there still and they conducted and they that conducted Paul brought him to Athens that's where we'll pick up next week he's going to start preaching in Athens uh, I almost said Athens Georgia in Athens Greece and receiving a commandment Silas he brought them to him but what I want you to see is look even when the gospel is successful Think about this now as we, this is going to be the last point. Think about this. Even when we saw before that the gospel, it was successful in a few people, but really it caused a riot and they chased them out of the city. So you can imagine what Paul's feeling. He's discouraged, you know, dang it. He goes to Berea and then all of a sudden these Bereans, hey, they're listening. Now they ain't all converted yet or anything like that, but they're all listening and they're all searching the scriptures and people are believing. There's people that from the women, people from the men, people from the Jews, people from the Greeks. They're being converted. The gospel's taking hold. The word of God's taking hold. Look at this. Even when they're successful, uh, when God is moving amongst what Paul is doing, then what happens? Opposition. Here comes the mob from a town over. Well, y'all, why don't y'all just stay at Thessalonica and mind your own business? Because they didn't just want to reject the gospel. They wanted to do all they could to make sure it never grabs hold. I love the whole <coughs> atheist mindset sometimes. Some of them are just, you know, I don't care about that stuff. But a lot of them are, they're not just, I don't care about it. They're going to wear a t-shirt make sure you know. They're going to make sure they do everything to squash it. It's like, it's like I don't believe there is a God and I hate him. You know what I mean? It doesn't even make sense. You know, if you don't like 
you know, I'm not, I don't believe in ghosts, but I'm not out there trying to make sure, you know, I'm not holding up no picket signs saying, hey, ghosts aren't real. I don't understand that mindset at all, but that's, that's the mindset that you see here. They weren't content just to stay in Thessalonica and say, you know what, that guy's an idiot. We're not going to listen to him, whatever. They followed him to make sure that everywhere he went, that nobody would believe what he was saying. And so I can see Paul preaching in Berea and these guys, they, they were, they were eating it up. They may not have trusted it yet, but they were searching the scriptures and they were, uh, they were probably talking with Paul. What about this verse over here? How, how could this line up with this? And you know, it, the gospel was taking hold. God's word was being preached. And then here comes opposition. I can see them marching down the road. Thessalonica against the gospel or whatever. I don't know how they did, but what we need to see from this is even when you will always have opposition, always. And if you let opposition discourage you, then you're going to live a discouraged life the rest of your life if you're a Christian. Because you're always going to have opposition. You're always, even when there's success, even when there's a move of God, even when something's going on that's wonderful. It's a miracle that God is doing things in people in your family's life or, or friends or, or even in your own life. There's always going to be opposition. Even Paul, when he left, he got out of Dodge before they could grab him and take him. But even when he got to this new city and things started happening good, here they come again. The same ones from the old city, from Thessalonica, coming to make life miserable for him, to come and oppose him. They stirred up crowds just like they did in Thessalonica. They came to Berea and stirred up crowds and the same thing was about to happen that happened in Thessalonica. So Paul went to Athens. And he, it's important for you to realize that he wasn't just running. He was leaving a church in each one of these cities. It's easy to read. Paul went to Thessalonica. He got persecuted. He left, went to Berea. He went to Berea. He got persecuted. He left, went to Athens. It's easy to think that that's just a three or four day deal. But he stayed in Thessalonica for <clears throat> a long time. If you read <clears throat> the letter to 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, you can see that this is a long time that he stayed there. He, he planted a church in Thessalonica. He planted a church in Berea and he's moving on and he's going to plant one in Athens. Go ahead. Why is the church so Well, it depends on what you mean. I mean, I mean, uh, uh, wasn't it, uh, who was it that built the wall with the sword in one hand? And, uh, Nehemiah. Nehemiah. I mean, he was, he, he, he was willing to stand against the people that were trying to stop him from building that wall. Yeah. I mean, and he actually, he actually showed them downright just good. Yeah. Why should I have to stop what I'm doing to come down and find out what you want? You know, yeah. who are you to bother me? I mean, who are these people to bother us? We're God's people. Why do we not have power to stop them? Well, the difference between Nehemiah and Paul, and Paul didn't stop. He just moved. He, he, his job was to plant churches. And when his job was done, he moved on. Well, I'm talking about the people in the church. I'm not just talking about Paul. Why, why, why do we allow so much? Well, the difference between yeah, the difference between there's you can answer your question on many levels. So the difference between Nehemiah and 
the first century Christians was Nehemiah had a, a decree from the the high king to build the wall. Uh, he wasn't being try, he wasn't uh, being hindered by the ruling authority. He had the he had Darius's uh, uh, not Darius Xerxes's. He had the king of kings I understand, and they continue, and they continued preaching and teaching, and they a lot of them died for their faith. So it wasn't like uh, it wasn't like uh, it wasn't like they were hindered in their work. They did their work, and they died when it was necessary to die. But Jesus, nor Paul, nor any of the apostles ever called them to rebel against the governmental authorities. That makes sense to to march on Rome, so to speak, or to march on the governmental buildings in each city. They were called to they were called to uh, be a witness for Christ and to be faithful unto death, even if that meant. And that's what they did. So they didn't they didn't back down. Um, but their fight wasn't a fight that they waged with swords and shields and all that. Their fight was standing for the gospel in, in the face of opposition. And their fight wasn't necessarily against... Their fight wasn't against the government. Their fight was against the religious mindset. You know, where, like, in the Old Testament times, it was there were wars left and right, you know, against what I call all the seeds, the, the Sadducees, yeah. the Amorites and the Bilites and all of them. You know, there were wars raged. Yeah. But, you know, here, Christ, Jesus himself, attacked the religious mindset. Yeah. And if you look at the book of Acts, we're going to see this over and over again. Most people think that when you talk about persecution in the book of Acts, you're talking about Romans. And you're going to see some of that, but it was the Jews. It was the Jews. You, so far, we haven't seen any Romans come up and say, hey, y'all got to stop that. What we've seen is the Jews come and say, hey, Romans, these guys preached against Caesar. What? The Romans didn't care if you was a Christian. Romans had 4,000 gods. And they didn't care. You want to worship Jesus? Knock yourself out, buddy. Go ahead. As long as you add some of these gods, as long as you add the emperor in there with you, they didn't care if you worship Jesus. They could care less who you worship or what kind of church service you had or who you tried to preach to. They could care less. As long as you don't riot, as long as you keep order, we don't care what you do or who you do it with. But it was the Jews that were saying, hey, these guys are rebelling against Caesar, and that's going to perk up the Romans and say, what? Uh, no, we're not going to have no rebellions. And so the real persecution that we're going to see through Acts. Now, Roman persecution did come. So you see under Nero, Domitian, it, it did eventually come to a head. But here in the early stages in the book of Acts, it what Romans didn't care. They didn't care who what God you worshipped. They could care less. All they wanted, it's like your mama. She don't care who's right. I just want peace and quiet. You know what I mean? I don't care who's right. I don't care who's wrong. I just want quiet. That's all they wanted. What we're seeing here is religious persecution. The Jews are saying they're messing our religion up, so we're going to sick the Romans on you. And so, in that way, they were um, they weren't hindered until the stink arose. You know, when when you start getting crowds and riots and all that kind of stuff, then the Romans are going to pay attention. They're going to pay attention. But until that point, Paul and Silas. I mean, Paul was a Roman. He was a Roman citizen. He free to do whatever he wants to do. They not. I mean, they they wouldn't have persecuted him at all, especially being a Roman citizen. It was this charge of insurrection and rebellion. When that start, when that starts, then then we're gonna have then we're gonna have a problem. Anything else? Y'all ready?
people waiting outside the door. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you. We ask that you'd be with us today as we hear your word. Be with Brother John as he preaches it. God, we ask that you would uh, watch over us. Help us to... uh,